0: And welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast hosted by 4 covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. Listen to this throwback episode from ConExpo 2020, where 4 conducted interviews with various manufacturers and experts while at ConExpo ConAg 2020 to discuss how construction contractors can help solve the workforce puzzle. Let's dig in now.
1: An associated general contractor survey revealed that 70% of contractors are having a hard time finding qualified craft workers to hire amid growing construction demand. 80% or more home builders report the need to pay higher wages, find it more difficult to complete projects on time, and are challenged with finding subcontractors with qualified workers as a result of the construction labor shortage. Meanwhile, more than half of contractors struggling to put hands on tools in the midst of the busiest construction season of the past 12 years said. The lack of workers with sufficient skills is increasing job site risks. Sponsored by Case Construction Equipment, our workforce development series of interviews will take a closer look at the challenges, solutions, and opportunities facing the construction industry's workforce. Hi everyone, I'm Diana Henry here at ConExpo 2020 and joining me now is Eric Zieser from CASE. Thank you so much for being here.
2: You're welcome, pleasure to be here.
1: big news today. Just announced the first fully electric backhoe loader. Why go electric with this product line?
2: Exciting day, we just debuted half an hour ago. Our first live demo in the booth, the backhoe loader, why? CASE 1957 invented the backhoe loader. So with that regard, it's only fitting for us to also be the first fully electric backhoe loader on the market. But if you look at the industry and the evolution of compact equipment and what's going to go electric the backhoe loader made sense for us for really two reasons one as I said being the inventor of the backhoe loader 1957 but secondly the industry demand utilities municipalities the key product in their range is the backhoe loader still the Swiss Army knife of a product is utilizing their applications inside the urban areas it's using very different applications where it's not a high production wheel loader a high production wheel lo- excavator the backhoe loader being the Swiss Army knife of a product it kind of does a little bit of work on the backside the front side lots of idle hours so the back loader is very fitting for converting that to electric where you can save that downtime wasted diesel hours wasted diesel fuel convert that into zero zero emission zero battery consumption on the back
1: is this where you're getting some of the feedback from customers saying we want this and so what benefits did you really kind of mold into this this new new machine sure.
2: yeah the, the other reason why I chose the backup loader is a dual approach from a company standpoint case instruction our goals sustainability and decarbonization we've been looking across electrification on the various products Lines from our compact, our mini excavators, CTLs, skid steer loaders, trying to figure out you know which product's the first to market. However, based on the customer demand, we chose the backhoe loader bill suitable because we actually have customers coming to us requesting to electrify their case backhoe loaders in the marketplace today. We've currently sold two machines already to two key utility companies in the state of New York. Uh, partnered with them directly on this program, taking their feedback, their in, their how they're using the backhoes today in their environment, looking at that data with them, and then evolving machine to meet their needs and their future expe- expectations
1: all right New York's got the first two when will we see more of these on the
2: job site we don't have an exact date yet but when we're gonna to go to the next ones out we're here at Con Expo Project Zeus is a little different than 580 EV so we've got two names going for the machine Project Zeus as we've done it, case through various Project Minotaur and Con Expo 2017 Project Tetra at Bama in 2019 Project Zeus is our code name for this project we we're teasing ahead of time working on it as a team on this but really the machine is 580 EV we look at our customer machines the 580 EV He's a bit different than Zeus. Zeus is a little more flashy trying to judge operator awareness, customer awareness that hey this machine is electric it can be electrified but then as you go to the 580 EV it's a practical ready-to-work machine our standard ruggedized exterior as a case backhoe has in the market. Our next machines coming out we're trying to decide based on the intentions of the customers here at the show who's really willing who wants to partner with us on this to make sure that our first pass on this is right and for the market. The technology is rapidly changing electrification with our with our company we have fp we have the, the recent acquisition or partnership excuse me in Nicola. And with that, the technology available to us is kind of going very quickly right now. We're at a decision point, trying to figure out how fast we bring out mass production of this vehicle versus taking it smaller steps, working with close customers, and refining this product line over the next you know months and years. So right now we're taking customer intent right now, working with them directly on our team, trying to figure out you know who we want to choose as our select partners going forward. Awesome. So the exact date
1: <laughs> we'll find out GBD here. But, uh, is what I'm hearing on that.
2: 2020. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying further than that. Great. But whether it's next month or in, in five months depends on how many customers I get lined up and we got to then decide you know who, who's the best for us
1: that's that's great news so if you're not a con expo how can somebody learn more
2: so kc.com obviously we've also got a landing page dedicated to our 580 EV back loader so kc.com slash 580 EV or go to kc.com and click on the uh, the landing page there and direct you to that Wonderful. and with that there's a brief survey questionnaire and that'll come directly to our product management team to, to vet out those customers to figure out who is our next best candidate
1: Julie Davis from AEM joins us now Julie thanks so much great
3: show so far it is just an amazing show so yes so much fun to see everybody walking around and checking out all the equipment it is it's just packed it's, it's unbelievable how it takes over the city right
1: yeah so, awesome. yeah, so let's talk a little bit about AEM and the efforts that um, you guys are doing to help with the
3: pipeline for manufacturing and trades absolutely I am delighted and um, excited to talk about what we are doing um, you know across the industry sector there is just a Skilled labor shortage, and so you know, obviously that impacts our members in just multiple ways and in across the industry sector. Um, So what we are looking at doing is really trying to help our members understand the workforce development spectrum, and that spectrum is everything from you know how do you do recruitment and outreach to what do your HR practices look like, and do you have best practices in place? What is the culture of your organization? So once you get those people in, are they going to stay, you know, and then how do you turn around and make sure that you, what we like to say, own your backyard? Um, How do you invest in your community? How do you get engaged so that just like you go out and market your product, you're actually marketing your brand in your community and your community is aware of what you do and what opportunities exist in your community? And then for uh, those larger organizations where maybe they already have a very established uh, workforce development uh, program or training what is that next step for them so we want to make sure that we're really looking at that workforce spectrum from beginning to really advanced and make sure that along that journey our members have best practices in place so the foundation is strong and um, they always have that option of taking another step and so for those larger organizations what can they do as far as regional initiatives and so um, we're mapping that out Uh, we are putting together a workforce development toolkit that really frames out for our members what those basic fundamental best practices are and gives them ideas so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. So, some of it is capturing uh, some of the best practices that our members are already doing, some of it is directing them to articles and information and research about things that they should know, um, some of it is introducing them to uh, industry partners that we have determined are really valuable, and then some of them, uh, some of of the things that we're doing is just giving them some of like, what does a good flyer look like if we're going to do a manufacturer day? How do I communicate with the school? And what are the things I need to remember to say? So really those resources and templates um, that will be available in that. So that's a a big piece of what we're going to do. And then um, this fall, we are actually doing a workforce solution summit. And uh, I had to laugh because coming into this industry, I looked around and we had a lot of conversation about workforce development, workforce development, and a a lot of those conversations were here's all the challenges, here's what's going wrong with workforce development. And I thought, you know, do where are the solutions? Out. Yes. <laughs> Let us have a seminar and a conference that is about what can you do today? How do I get workers in my facility today? Where are the pools of people that I can pull from? How do I build that pipeline so that I know that I'm challenging, you know, channeling channeling um, workers in for tomorrow? And then what are those best practices that I need to be aware of, and so we're going to really focus on everybody walking out the door with a handful of solutions at that conference. So those are some of the things that we have in the channel, and as you can tell, I'm excited about it. Just a Passionate bit. about it. Yeah, which is great. You need to yeah. be, right? So does
1: the best practice or the pipeline change when you recruit different demographics, millennials
3: or generations, the youth, the veterans, um, underemployed groups, does that change? It does. Absolutely. And um, I kind of like to group them in categories of who could walk in your door today and what are those pools of populations. So, you know, we look at veteran recruitment and, you know, uh, I had uh, members say, you know, there's like thousands of organizations that promote, you know, hiring veterans. Who do we turn to? Where do we look at? And so we want to vet some of those best of the best and and provide that. Um, But veterans are a perfect fit for the construction. industry coming out having worked with heavy equipment um, and then coming back in and a lot of the organizations that we will be recommending are organizations that spend the last six months of military service doing that uh, trade skill training with the veterans so that when the veterans come out they've got some of those foundations in place so that is that is brilliant right because then they're already leg up already in the motion it's not just you're out and also now what right and they have a lot of the soft skills that uh, companies are looking for and so part of the toolkit is a veterans recruitment toolkit and it talks about what do you need to understand about hiring veterans Um, quick references to well if they have this in their military background how does that kind of um, relate to what I'm looking for so you know some of that translation the other part of that is what is it what is that veteran culture look like that they are coming out of so that we can better frame that and they're comfortable in our environment and those aren't important things to think about if you're going to have long-term success so and the other the other um, piece of immediate hire is really the criminal justice system there is that is a a whole new um, piece of the puzzle that uh, I think really is a win-win you know people who have been incarcerated who have made a bad choice who go into a training program while they're incarcerated and then when they're coming out they're ready to turn that new leaf over and so we're really encouraging um, organizations to look at the skills that they can bring the um, rate of return for uh, people who have been incarcerated who go through programs who plug into sustainable wage living jobs um, the, the rate of you know going back is just so low and so it's really a win-win and I think um, there are many states that are investing heavily at, at the state level to make sure that that training happens. Um, looking at the skills gap, looking at the available population. It's really something that if uh, companies have not considered that in the past, they really need to look at it. There's also some fantastic ta- tax incentives for businesses to do that. So, wow. that's another big
1: one. That is, the, I but a lot of people can probably attend that part of the uh, seminar coming up. Yes, <laughs> yes,
3: and that is that we will have a speaker there um, that is talking about it, and in state by state there can be some differences but federally what does that picture look like because that is a huge conversation of where can we find some uh, talent pool from so untapped resource there yes, in a
1: lot yes. of ways so what are some of the major factors affecting workforce development in the construction
3: industry you know I think um, the, so I have to say that I came into this industry from outside the industry and spent a lot of time really looking at what are the issues um, what are the research reports coming out um, where are those challenges identified, and I, you can sum it up by saying, you know, this is an industry that hasn't done a great job telling its story, and so we have a lot of old uh, perception and old conversation that kind of percolates through this, and the truth of the matter is is that we have a dynamic, uh, technology-driven, exciting story to tell. We have a story that involves environmental Impact in a positive way. We have all of this emerging technology I mean just really exciting things. So it's not that we don't have that story, it's that we haven't told it. And so we have this, uh, you know, couple of generations. We have the parent generation that knows the old story. Um, we have the youth generation that hasn't heard the story that is new and exciting. And so a lot of that is just learning how to tell our tale. And um, what is exciting for me, and I think this is really important important that the industry understand that is that education understands that our story has changed. And I think there's a lot of misconception of industry to education saying that education doesn't care about us or they don't know. Education is very aware that there is this skill gap. Um, Education is struggling to understand our story and understand how they can support directing kids into our story. And so when we look at the challenge that construction has as an industry sector and how are we going to fill that skill gap that we have. I look at that and say we have a lot of foundational things that we need to do to get people to understand what best practices are and after that, that industry education partnership is the gem that will help us solve this problem and we really need to communicate well with education. We need them, we need to help them help us and it really needs to be a partnership. It, it is not about Um, I'm gonna go and yell at education or I'm gonna go tell them what I think that we should do it is about understanding education education understanding us coming together and making sure that we have some industry standards we have certifications we have some things that really um, help that flow and that are are really wins for students so when they go and get certified or they get a credential um, that you know education has put together that we've input those standards, and that when they come out with that, as an industry, we value that, because I'll tell you what, industry values a four-year degree, but we complain about people getting them all the time. Industry does a real bad job valuing credentials and certifications, but if we want people to go that route, we need to equally value that when they come to our door with that, and so um, that is my thought of the day. (laughs) Julie's thought, the bubble pops up, right?
1: Is culture different between the different groups of population, whether it be a young, you know, younger millennial or Gen Y versus a veteran versus someone who's looking for that career
3: change? Um, Absolutely. You know, I think uh, there's been a huge changes between generations. You've got the Boomers, you've got the you know Millennials, you've got um, Gen X and Gen Y, and um, I think that there are definitely things that speak to us differently. I think the biggest challenge and opportunity is as we are looking at bringing that Generation um, Z in and working with the Millennials, um, they want a better balance of life. And at the end of the day, they've asked for things That my generation and the other generations have maybe secretly wanted and we've never actually asked for and what's interesting is that you know the Millennials are like we want this and we're gonna go somewhere else if you don't give it to us and so they're changing that tide and so on one hand it benefits our older workers because they're like hey we we might like a better life work balance too Um, so I think that that is something that we need to think about in a positive way Um, I also Think about things like, you know, having a schedule where people know when they are going to come in and work, you know. And I have worked with some companies where they don't have a schedule, and it's like, you know maybe they have a right to expect a schedule and so you know um, just things that we need to do that are a little different even if it's a third generation company um, you really need to look at those things because if you're not willing to change we have become we have we are in an environment that it is a change-or-die environment if you're not willing to change they're not going to be willing to work for you you need to figure it out um, and again there's help to do that uh, but it is literally if If you are stubborn and you're not going to change, you're going to have a bigger shortage than somebody else who is willing to change. So that is, again, kind of the summation of it all is fair or not, right or not, this is the world we live in. And AEM can help you stay relevant with all the resources that you have. Yes. And that is our goal is to really understand where our members are beginning, um, what the opportunities are around them, Um, and, and it's almost like coming up with a tray of desserts and saying, which one of these would you like? You don't have to have them all. So choose a workforce development um, opportunity. You don't have to do them all. Right. Or just right now, get maybe started. Maybe it's a plan or yes. whatever it is. Yep. Right? but it is, it is all about taking some new steps, making sure those foundation pieces are there, and, uh, and you're going to have to put a little elbow grease in it. And I don't think this is an industry that is scared of hard work. So I think it's okay. Not in the least. And I'm joined by Jim Colbert from Sirius Labs.
1: Jim, thanks for joining me.
0: Uh, I'm delighted. Thank you.
1: All right. Tell me, what is Sirius Labs? i got to know.
0: Sirius Labs is a workforce development company uh, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Now, that doesn't sound very interesting, but what we do that's different is we apply very leading-edge technologies to create training products for a new generation of heavy industrial worker.
1: Wonderful. Virtual reality training, is that what we're talking about a little bit?
0: That's certainly one of our uh, products, for sure.
1: Okay, how does that improve a contractor's skill that?
0: Great, great question. We get this quite often. With using virtual reality, we can immerse um, an operator right into a virtual environment that is so real that it actually triggers a cognitive part of their brain that is actually the fight or flight mechanism, because they're actually doing. And when you actually have somebody in that state, you can train them so much better than just trying to passively learn through instruction. Um, We've been testing this out for several years now with the advancements of Um, virtual reality and found that uh, doing rather than passive learning uh, dramatically increases up by about 90% increases people's retention and the best part about it is it's objective, it's always the same we can measure so many things that can't be measured by a a trainer with a clipboard and um, uh, that can be applied to any kind of situational where we can put people actually in harm's way without actually putting them in harm's way. So it's a real benefit from uh, objective learning um, doing it doing things that you couldn't otherwise do in a safe environment on the real machine or real ex- in real environment and it's objective so it can be it's it's always measured the same
1: adoption rates pretty high with your customers
0: right well you know um, I think construction is an industry certainly that uh, is slower to move uh, the traditional training methodologies have been around a long time but when we look at um, you know the adoption rates now where we can absolutely demonstrate high value returns for large general contractors, for instance, to be able to make sure that they're, all of the operators on the equipment on their site, whether subcontracted work or their own people, actually have the skills to do that job um, the, the right way and the safe way. Um, so that means you can actually audit them all going in. It's kind of like doing a, a CAT scan or an MRI before you actually get on the real equipment. Not only we can uh, assess where you are as far as competency, but then we can steer you into a remediation path to raise that up, so that all operators on all equipment are going to be better, faster, and most importantly, safer.
1: Yeah, there's got to be benefits from a safety perspective when it comes to training people up, making sure they're checked all the boxes when they go through that that, that training.
0: Absolutely. In fact, um, you know that's our mantra. It's making people have the right to go home safely every night, and that's something that's always applied in you know in the aerospace industry. They've had simulators for decades. Uh, the military same thing but what we're doing is we're taking something would normally have cost a quarter of a million dollars and up and we're putting it into um, a price point with way better fidelity and performance than traditional simulators so that it's available for that small contractor that small training center as well as the large GCS and rental companies
1: accessibility
0: must be huge absolutely it is yeah we sincerely believe that it should be like you know porta potties on a site it should be be able to test somebody um, with that that kind of convenience
1: standard yeah, yeah right so you've got some news
0: we do um, we're very excited so our um, our uh, flagship product is a mobile elevated work platform that has a boom lift and a scissor lift but we're now venturing very much into seated motion um, simulation which is really exciting for us so we've just um, we've launched we're launching our um, it's called a universal motion base and the two products that we've developed that are going on it and you can demo them in beta over at our our uh, uh, exhibition booth is a uh, rough terrain forklift as well as a counterbalance forklift. It's very exciting development, and we now can have the capability of adding multiple pieces of equipment onto that same uh, chassis. So Tuesday could be forklift training, Wednesday could be, um, you know, telehandler training, Thursday could be uh, commercial drivers training, uh, and, the, and the opportunities are endless, earth moving, you name it. So we're very excited about that.
1: As you should be. Okay. Wow. Let's talk a little bit looking into the future, crystal ball, right? <laughs> where is training heading?
0: Oh, great question, too. I mean, I think you know, I have young children, and I, they don't, they've never been in a world where high-speed internet and adoption of new technology has not been available to them. Um, so, I believe that the guys my age um, need to make sure that we're adopting these things, because these kids learn differently. And they'll let us know. I mean, there's a massive shortage in skilled labor uh, in the construction uh, industry, and it's global, and it's only going to get, people aren't coming into these trades, so if you want to draw them in and retain them, you have to show a commitment to them, so I believe training is going to be revolutionized in the next 10 years, where virtual reality, augmented reality, and the other types of um, uh, ways to deliver, modalities to deliver training, are going to be upended um, entirely.
1: Jim McAvoy from Workman Group, thanks so much for joining me. Good to be here. Oh, it's such a great show. Tell me about Workman's Center for Training and Technology
4: training and technology. The Center for Training and Technology started as an initiative, basically within the working group to emulate some of the work we do in Germany at our factories, which is specifically training technicians and uh, service people. So when we came to North America, we we were in the process of building out a distribution system, and we were bringing in highly um, innovative technology that required a lot of training so since 2009 we've invested in the facility and really spread our wings to uh, not only reach our own uh, internal needs but our dealers needs our customers needs and the needs of the industry so it's been a it's been a 10-year development cycle with the center
1: and not done yet I'm sure not done yet. No.
4: <laughs> plenty to do
1: right so tell me how CTT aids in the workforce development and the whole industry outreach and, and General,
4: the uh, the CTT again for us. If I look at it internally from a workforce development standpoint, the uh, the, the the need for uh, competent service technicians, competent operators um, evolves as quickly as machine technology evolves. So you have, uh, as an OEM and an engineer that that makes the equipment, we're the best source to understand how to use the equipment. So for us the being the engineer, being the designer uh, of all these new technologies, it really goes hand in hand to say we should also train and be responsible as an OEM to our customers to make sure that the technology is being used very efficiently and in the way it was designed to be used. So again, it started as an internal workforce development initiative. It branched out into our distribution channel and ultimately to our customers. And now, given the state of the industry and the issue with workforce development in the industry, and I would say in the construction industry in general, as well as the specific needs of road building contractors, um, we've done outreach into a number of educational facilities. So we look at local high schools, we've reached into the local technical schools. We're actually uh, aligned with some four-year universities and some two-year universities with um, certificate programs. We, we have a complementary course um, development that we do with them and the curriculum is designed to basically feed the need of the college certificate process as well as achieve for us what we want in educating the future workforce.
1: It sounds like a win-win.
4: It works out great. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a place for us to find good people. Uh, and it certainly serves the industry, and I think serves the construction industry as a whole to be investing in uh, training young technicians.
1: Responses have been just phenomenal across your dealers and your customers, as well as internally, right?
4: Very good. Yeah, very good. We uh, uh, it's taken time, and we really took the approach uh, a very academic approach, and and hired individuals from academia to come in to basically look at course curriculum structure how. You deliver the educational material, and uh, we really run it like a an academic facility. Uh, and from that standpoint, the way the material is delivered to um, these you know young students really lets it sink in. It really lets it sink in. So these you know these are uh, these people that will go through the trainings, whether they're technical trainings, whether they're application trainings, um, will end up either. And for a self-serving purpose, uh, being very pleased with how the training process went. They understand our technology better, uh, whether they go to work for the distributor, whether they go to back to work for a customer, or they just stay in the industry. Uh, we now have people that understand our technology, our innovation, and, and I think, in general, how a leader in the industry can position itself uh, as, a, as a provider of not only high-quality equipment, but also a very high level of competency training inside the industry.
1: Richard Willis from Napa, thanks for joining me.
4: Thanks for
5: having me.
1: Let's talk about the three different task groups that you have in this new Workforce Development Committee that you
5: formed. So we started our new Workforce Development Committee in 2019 and we really wanted to try to tackle three areas where Napa could have an influence. And so the three task forces we developed were the Communications, the Partnership, and the Promise Task Force. And the Communications was really about developing of a unified message that the entire industry could use when talking about recruiting and getting new people into our workforce. So we're all speaking the same language and we're all saying the same thing. The partnership task group is realizing NAPA alone isn't enough to do everything. And so what are other people doing that we can leverage and what are we doing um, that other people could also use to help be involved? And then the final task group is the promise task group. Because when we invite all these people into our industry to work with us, we're telling them we're going to do something for them, whether that's give them an opportunity for a career, um, give them good benefits, but people are leaving, and they're leaving for some reason, so the Promise Task Group is really helping people get the tools to deliver on the promise they're making to those future employees.
1: So, let's talk a little bit about the opportunities and synergies that you have found by partnering with these various groups, government agencies, associations, the education groups.
5: So, the the big organizations we've been working with right now, um, of course, there's Federal Highway administration. They started a, a massive workforce development ishi- initiative in the last year or so um, called Roads to Your Future. Um, and We've recently signed on to be partners with them and it's really about delivering things down and tools down to the grassroots level so that in states and cities and communities they can be the ones making the change for the workforce in those areas. But then there are other organizations like the Future Farmers of America. There's a, there's a workforce there and as some of the family farms are shrinking, people are growing up having worked around heavy equipment their whole lives and we have an opportunity for them to continue to do some of the things that they're used to and they enjoy and they've got good skills at that we may not have to do as much training on. Um, But really it's about thinking about the local level um, in a lot of these works because that's where it's going to happen. You can only do so much from on top.
1: Yeah, right. Top down versus down up. Right. Right. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about um, surveys that you've done and do you have one coming up for 2020 for employee retention?
5: So what we're doing in 2020 Um, is we're looking at what we're offering our employees Um, and that's from the people working in the field to the engineers to the office staff um, and getting an understanding hopefully on a regional level um, what are we doing in terms of benefits what are we doing in terms of things like insurance comp time um, but even engagement Um, what are we doing to make sure people feel valued and feel heard in the workplace and so we've just launched our, our first survey. Um, we're gonna do this in three parts over the course of the year, and that's really now focusing on what are we doing for those people working out our plants, out on our crews, um, and even in like QC technicians and laboratories. And it's really understanding from an HR level what are we offering them. We'll do the same thing in about 90 days with the engineers, the managerial staff, to get at what are we doing in terms of benefits. But the really interesting twist on it all will be the. Th- third survey that comes out, which we're giving then to the engineers, the office staff, and the field crews to say, hey, what do you value, and see if there's a disconnect between what we're offering and what they're wanting.
1: That's going to be huge, right? And,
5: but that's going to tell us where we're can, where we strong and where we need to keep working, but it's also going to tell us where do we need to focus our efforts, because right now, it's a, this is a massive problem, and so this helps us focus uh, and put our time and our money in the right area is to help really help people um, develop the tools they need to then deliver on those needs and on those wants from the employees. So we're hoping um, to accomplish this really over the course of 2020 and then the report will hopefully roll out around our annual meeting next year in Orlando in
6: 2022 in February. Well,
1: we look forward to seeing
6: those results. Thank you. Tom
1: Doyle from ARA. Tom, thanks for joining me.
6: No problem. Glad to be here.
1: Let's talk a little bit about ARA Rental
6: Works. Sure. Thanks. Um, I think before we get into into the Rental Works, what predated that or what developed from ARA Rental Works was in 2019, we went back to our members and said, what's the number one initiative we have in our industry, in the rental industry? And across the board, large and small members from either the rental company standpoint or from the uh, supplier standpoint to the rental companies said workforce development. They had issues in the fact that both sides of the the aisle and the rental aisle were growing. And there were a lot of retirements coming out of that. So they needed to um, grow the workforce and replenish the workforce. So it became our number one initiative. So we decided we've got to do something with that. And we spent five or six months interviewing, surveying members, and developing a workforce development strategy. Our marketing department came up with this ARA Rental Works uh, campaign. And really what we did then uh, is launched the first initiative in February in in Orlando at the annual ARA show. And the response? What has it been? Well, the response has been pretty good. Uh, Actually, it's been very positive. What we did is on um, day one or on February 11th we brought in a bunch of the educators and influencers from across the country as well as three local um, schools, technical schools, to develop us really what the strategy is for us going forward. The next day then we invited th- those same people as well as 300 uh, technical trade students from three different colleges in that area to bring back some awareness of really what the rental industry is and what it's going to become and the job opportunities that are available. So from all areas of uh, input, it was positive.
1: That's good news. Um, Talk a little about the elements. What are are the elements of this initiative?
6: Well, so what we looked at is trying to figure out how do we help attract and recruit people into this business. Uh, The rental business has been around, ARA's been around since 1955, so it's not a new association, it's certainly not a new industry, but the awareness doesn't seem to fit that way there is um, a real call about really what the rent rental industry is. So that's another big part of this initiative. So we want to help um, our members recruit, attract, but then also onboard or retain the employees once they get on board. Yeah,
1: that's key, right? Yes. Spend a lot of time and money trying to train people and then they leave.
6: And that's it. So we, we want to, once we get them in, we want to keep them as well. So that's a major initiative. That's really the genesis of what's happened. And so far it's been positive feedback. That was the first event that really that we have done of anything of that nature. So had a little bit of a question mark going in but all, all good so far wonderful
1: career opportunities what what are those like in the rental industry
6: great question so when we surveyed our members really came back the number one requirement right now is equipment uh, technicians so again that's one of the that was the focus at the RA show for those two days was on the equipment technicians a close second was CDL drivers a lot of industries are, are looking for both those those two uh, jobs or those those people but that was our number two and then number three we also represent the event industry Uh, and on that side of it they just need more laborers more tent installers to uh, to get the work done a lot of of the business now is going towards rental so on both equipment and event side a real need for just more um, more growth in the workforce
1: let's talk a little bit about the benefits of working in this industry
6: well one of the things we found out is that being a well-kept secret um, we went back and asked people once we told them about this what do you think and they said well we love we love a couple things. One, we love where the fact that rental companies are situated throughout the, throughout the U.S. and Canada. That's primarily our focus right now. So they can have a geographical diversity. They can go from any any city, really, across the United States and up in Canada and have a rental job and then a career. So if they want to stay in a geographical area, great. If they want to switch and go to a different area, there's a rental company in that area. So that was a big one. Second one is the opportunity to grow into a, a career from a So there's a lot of entry-level jobs that will end up into a nice career, and the compensation and benefits are pretty attractive.
1: That's a great distinction, right? Not just a job, it's a career as
6: well. Definitely, definitely.
1: Does it differ from military versus a younger generation? Uh,
6: I think it's a great question. We're not targeting any specific group, but we are certainly going after some of the younger group to let them know that this is an opportunity. And we have found that the the military do provide a, uh, a solid training background. For our type of work, so we are looking at uh, kind of focusing on those two without excluding others. Yeah
1: see it evolving over time, because you're really just kind of dipping your toes into the water right now with coming off of the February
6: event. It is. So while the industry and our members have been looking for members, it's ARA's uh, first foray into looking at how we can help our members grow. So we see it evolving into um, the continuation of this microsite, this ARARentalWorks.com, which you can go back in and look at all the best practices now. You can look at job descriptions, both written and and through video, and we are going to start launching for the first time an area standpoint, a job and career fairs across the U.S. We're gonna participate more in the ones that exist today and start doing our own. So a couple new, new and exciting initiatives to kind of make this whole thing work.
1: Well, thanks for being a resource out there because it's really important. Yeah. Here with Drew Carruthers from CM Lab Simulations. Thanks for joining me.
6: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, simulators, hot topic. Tell me about the role this plays in the skills gap that we're seeing.
7: So what simulators do is they're a very objective tool and what they allow is for operators to be compared in a very apples to apples way. Uh, Simulators nowadays have a very high degree of realism that represents their experiences on the real equipment. So if you're able to assess them in a very even way that even the end user can set the scoring criteria, you can understand the, uh, the skills and the skills gap that need to be focused on to bring everyone up to a higher level of standards. And consistent. And consistency, yes, across Super. the board, yes, yes. So
1: how is this going to help find our next generation of workers?
7: Well, we actually need the next generation to come in and be interested, and our industry is great. It takes very good care of people, and we need to have that conversation with them. So sometimes equipment is very noisy and loud and daunting, but what we do with simulation, it's a quiet room, it's a safe environment, and we can attract people who aren't necessarily endeared towards construction or haven't even thought about it and say come take care of us you know the unions take very very good care of you you start with a very very good pay and you're actually very good so allowing that to have that conversation with them while watching them operate and recognizing that raw talent that they have we bring smart people into our industry because we are transitioning from operators into systems monitors and the role of the operators becoming more and more important and we need we need that those brains into our industry
1: overcoming some barriers that people might have
7: absolutely and the fears that they think that they impose on themselves but they're actually excellent operators and just need to be given that opportunity yes
1: that's great so risk mitigation obviously but what about the financial benefit for a company if they're looking to bring simulators into their world
7: yeah so more and more um, in the same way that cell phones started off as a risk mitigation that you don't want to be caught with your car breaking down so that that you worry about um, uh, an accident what simulators do now is they work more about productivity so you can do the job but you can also do it more efficiently so when we work with industry we're getting the operators who are becoming more efficient they're scooping more and reducing their cycle times and that translates into big savings out on the industry when they're working on on larger sites when you're working with schools uh, they have a higher instructor to student ratio they have the ability to have people get more experience on the equipment which reduces their insurance reduces their maintenance reduces their fuel costs, and gets them on the equipment more so it returns the investment very very quickly and also increases the amount of experience that these guys have on the simulators or girls. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, yes.
1: yes. Does it vary depending on if I'm a small company? Would this work for me versus a large company?
7: Absolutely. It, 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 there's no gap anymore. I mean, there's simulator solutions that even exist on your phone if that's what you need. So depending on what you are, what your end objectives are, there are simulation solutions that will plug into budgets, constraints, sizes, and, and end objectives. Whether you're looking to people to take them to a control familiarization or to efficiency training or even beyond that.
1: So oftentimes on a job site, there's more than one piece of equipment out there, yeah, right? Yeah. Talk about how this can make the process out there as a collaboration a much better way to
7: work. Well, to get the younger operators to understand that they're not working in isolation, that they're working in collaboration with a signalman or they're working in collaboration with another operator on site and that they're being aware of their environment. So what simulation can do is help give them that experience and put multiple people into one site and allow them to experience the idea of teamwork to, if you're a crane operator, to be really depending on the, the consigns of the signaler. If you're an Earthworks, to be working with that other operator in a, in a team environment.
1: It's fascinating.
7: Yeah, it's really fun. It
1: takes us to that next level, that next generation, and keeps our brains thinking in a whole different way.
7: But we need to. I mean, this is an exploration of technology here, and what we need to do is we need to attract those people. We have a great industry, and we need to show people that we are forward-looking, and we do warrant their attention to come in and to help us take it to the next level.
1: David Poe from Orion Talent joins me on the couch today. Let's talk a little bit about veterans and the role that veterans can play in the construction industry. It's, it's a great topic and we definitely need to talk about it.
8: No, it is. And uh, Diana, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak a little bit today and just cover this topic. Um, as far as the construction industry goes, military veteran talent has been a terrific resource for it for a long time. Um, that's partially because each calendar year more than 175,000 people leave active duty military service in the United States and come back out into the private sector and so many of them bring intangible traits such as leadership, communication ability, organization and just frankly work ethic that has correlated really really well into a wide range of aspects of the industry over the last 20 to 30 years.
1: It's a great fit for construction. It is. Uh, Shortage, right, of talent out there to begin with and workers. So So what types of functional roles does a veteran bring that they might have learned in the military that really melds well? Sure,
8: Um, I would kind of break that down into two types of functional areas. The first would be a technical area. So there's a wide range of job families in the US military from engineering to horizontal construction and development to facilities and even electrical and uh, maintenance equipment systems. Um, So you do have a, a great foundation of knowledge with technical skills technical training and aptitude, that's a great building block for a lot of construction industry organizations to to use. But in addition to that, the intangible skills that I mentioned earlier really do correlate well. Um, One of the things that most organizations who've had a lot of success in construction have found with military veteran talent is that oftentimes the work ethic, uh, the minimal amount of training that's needed for these folks, and frankly, just the culture match is uh, is terrific.
1: What key mistakes companies making when it comes to hiring veterans?
8: mistakes are made every day in hiring and in this day and age with roughly a 42 year low in unemployment in the United States um, we watch organizations on a daily basis make missteps with recruiting and hiring whether they're focused on military veterans or not probably one of the biggest mistakes that we see today specific to military talent is having a stereotype a bias or a preconception of either the type of talent that you have to go find ie we've only ever hired Navy technicians so we therefore can only ever go hire Navy technicians not realizing how much other jobs other branches of the military have changed over the years and then two, um, pigeonholing traditional military hires into job families where they've had success before but not being willing to look at using their same skills in other jobs
1: and technology right you think about our military they're exposed to some of the best technology that's out there that's right so they have that innovation already built into them and the where to grasp that new technology
8: they do it's a great point Diana and it frankly changes all the time so a candidate who leaves the US military today regardless of which branch of the military they're coming from is frankly leaps and bounds ahead in terms of skilled technical ability aptitude communications background and even just the product lines that they've worked with compared to that same candidate eight to ten years ago
1: are there best practices you guys give to companies yeah
8: we do all the time and we always try to do that free of charge and just to make them available to any organization that wants to learn. One of the most common best practices that we always try to recommend is don't worry about what the Joneses are doing, meaning looking left, right in your industry um, to a direct competitor, an indirect competitor, and then trying to mirror or mimic a veteran talent strategy that they might be using. It's probably not going to work for you. Each organization is different. Um, The the number one best practice we always recommend is focus in-house first and determine what do we need with military talent? What is our plan for it? And let's right size a military talent initiative for us, not worrying about what everybody on our right and our left is doing.
1: Lead in your own way, yeah. right? Exactly. And hire a veteran. It's
8: great to do. <laughs>
0: Well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you to our guests for speaking with us. Tune in every Monday for another episode of the Digging Deeper podcast from 4 and be sure to subscribe and share. You keep listening, we'll keep digging. Until next time.